Hello and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful Cyberpunk 2077 episode of Normandy FM. We're here to talk about stealing things. Potentially getting away with it, potentially not. Who's to say? You know, I think this heist is going to go off without a hitch for me, Eric Van Allen, one of your co-hosts. And Ken, what do you think? How are you feeling? Yeah, I think it's going to go real well. We're going to become Night City Legends and the day's going to end and it's just going to be great. Uh huh. Uh huh. And you know, to to make sure we get it done right, we've assembled a crew. When you do a heist, you got to have mm. a crew, right? That's that's the number one rule. So joining us again, John Warren, a fan by How are you doing? I'm doing okay, but y'all made a grave error, including me, in any sort of heist or uh, anything involving stealth or cunning. I make a lot of noise. I'm not. I never play it cool ever. <laughs> Um, but I appreciate the thought and I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Everybody starts somewhere. That's the important part. And, and we really feel here at the, uh, crime offices of Van Allen and Shepard that, uh, you know, your internship's going to work out great. <laughs> Y'all are so <laughs> inclusive. That's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> also joining us from Kotaku.com. There is Carolyn Pettit. How are you doing today? Are you feeling good about this heist, Carolyn? Well, I am, but I want you all to know this. This is my last job, and then I'm walking away from this Whoa. life forever. Of course. Mm, mm, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. So I'm out of one the game. Score. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know you need you needed me back for one last for job one more. because nobody else can do what I do. But after that, I'm out of here. I'm walking. Mm. Your away. pension kicks in after this one. We do That's offer right. pensions here at the crime fund. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's awesome. We find it very important for our crime doers to have job security. (laughs) Um, Before we get into talking about this heist that will go extremely well in Cyberpunk 2077, let's talk a little bit about how our guests here got into the game and, and their experience with Cyberpunk 2077 and kind of how they felt about it over the years year i mean it feels like years but (laughs) we're close years ish uh i mean in like dog years it's been a long time Mm. and we'll start with carolyn carolyn Mm. tell us about your well first who you are and what you do Uh, and then your cyberpunk history sure i am a veteran games journalist uh uh a hardened Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. seasoned professional of the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, been around the block a few times. Um, uh, currently, my my current gig, uh, which I'm pretty happy with, is managing editor at a little site called Kotaku.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, but my, my uh, first, you know, experience with Cyberpunk 2077 was reviewing it uh, on its original release for Polygon.com. And, uh, you know, that was uh, an experience, I think most of us on this podcast have the experience of 
just absolutely racing to mm -hmm. play and review a game mm -hmm. on a fairly short embargo. Mm. So I, you know, I basically mainlined Cyberpunk 2077 in uh, the span of a few days, just bleary eyed, you know, playing like 12 hour, 16 hour mm -hmm. shifts. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and yeah, wrote the review for Polygon and then kind of had had my fill of Night City for a while, and so uh, didn't really come back to it until um, until you know I got curious again after the next gen release, uh, mm. uh, and uh, and then uh, revisited it a bit uh, more recently just to kind of refresh my memory for this uh, this conversation. So um, yeah, uh, you know I guess in short, uh, it, you know I I think it's a fascinating failure of a game. I, mm -hmm. I obviously <laughs> I have so many thoughts on it that I can't begin to sum up here, but uh, I think Night City as a setting is is kind of awe-inspiring in its scale and detail, but that the game lacks the humanity at its core that it would need to really make that worth something, which is weird because The Witcher 3 is such a human RPG mm. and is, mm -hmm. gets humanity, mm -hmm. like, is so concerned with just, like, ordinary people and ordinary lives and mm -hmm. the suffering and struggle of like just daily life and ordinary oppressions and hardships and everything so yeah uh uh but facet like i said a fascinating game to think about and to revisit for all the things that it tries to do and for all the ambition that's on display in it yeah awesome awesome john how about you what's your cyberpunk story well tell us about yourself first and then give us your cyberpunk story Oh, it's weird that we're asking you to like you. intro yourself again after you've been on the show many times. Yeah, no, well, it's, it's important we, we get it's new fine. listeners. Well, yeah, you get I'm, new listeners, it's true. Well, I'm just saying, I, I feel like that context is important. I always feel weird like having somebody on again. Be like, tell us about yourself as if you haven't been here before. <laughs> no, it's fine. And, uh, you know, it's like... Oh, they're, God, they're, it's John again. It's John John's again. back. <laughs> um, first of all, Caroline, I just want to say you were so modest. You, you've been one of my favorite writers in this industry for, what, like a decade now, so... Huh. Um, just want to say it's it's nice to have uh, this conversation with you for Thank sure. You. That's very kind. Of, yeah. Very kind of you. Yeah. Um, and also, I'm I'm fucking nobody. No, uh, I uh, <laughs> I'm the head of Fanbyte Media. I uh, I gosh, I don't really write that well. I don't podcast that well, but I, they still let me do a lot of it over at Fanbyte.com. <laughs> um, all the people that you love over there, like that are legendary and great at their jobs i did pick them though like that's <laughs> so i was really good at that um and my personal experience with cyberpunk is uh what i saw this game uh, closed doors at e3 2019 watched that demo got pretty excited about it to be honest uh even though what we were shown was super racist and and weird um yeah <laughs> Uh, and so I was like, okay, there's still some interesting bones here. And then when I played the game on PS5, um, the PS4 version on the PS5, right when it came out, that mm. was super broken and terrible mm. and not very fun. Um, and I bounced off of it pretty soon after I finished the chunk of the game that we're going to talk about today. Uh, but then I picked it up like nine months later on PC. Uh, PC got a bunch of patches that made mm -hmm. everything run better um i i kind of built a gaming pc that would run it and i was like hey sure why not i'll give it a shot 
And I played like 15, 20 hours of it. I still haven't beaten this game, but I um, this game vexes me, folks. This, ca- mm-hmm. this game is strange. It is like a weird artifact that I objectively think is mostly bad and I think is um, an, an expression of uh, capitalist excess and just like the <laughs> yes. worst the worst <laughs> impulses of our industry but I can't fucking look away from it and I can't <laughs> it is one of those things that like I keep picking up every once in a while and finding myself drawn to it in a way that frustrates me because in my brain um, this game should repulse me anyway that's that's my experience with this game <laughs> thanks for asking <laughs> I will I will jump in to say two things. Number one, don't sell yourself short. Thanks for the knowledge is an excellent podcast. Oh, thanks. I appreciate uh, it. it. It is it is my Sunday walk uh podcast. Damn, I, I hear that a lot. That's a really nice thing. I love it's that. A, thanks. It's a good walk and pod. Uh <laughs> and number two, uh that is if before we get into the actual retrospective part of this pod, I just wanna say for for context as we are recording this uh this is the the week after xbox and bethesda have just done their big showcase for Mm, key three if you would like to call it that and uh they they showed off starfield and that was one of the most bizarre moments of sitting there and listening to them pitch about how big this game is and how much there is in it and all Mm -hmm. the stuff you can do in it and just having cyberpunk flashbacks go through my mind and look if anybody is going to do big and excessive and and not completely banana peel on the landing bethesda's probably one of the studios i I would let try at least but uh at the same time you know i would have said cd project red is too so um so I i don't know it's a it's a weird thing to go into and i think that's why looking back at this game is so fascinating now is is to see this in context now especially now that we have as we were talking about before the pod started this next gen patch that i feel like a lot of people have been saying like realizes the game or at least like makes it playable on consoles the way that it was maybe intended to be playable at some point um yeah with that in mind how about we talk about a heist let's do it uh so as we pick up from where we were last time in the last episode we finished up the maelstrom and the evelyn parker side missions and we're moving into the actual heist now jackie has given us the call and said that we're going to meet up with dexter deshawn at the afterlife club and as we get there there's a really sweet moment where jackie's on the phone with his mother mama wells uh the red flags start getting planted <laughs> that, that Jackie's <laughs> definitely going to die, which again, we, we talked about this, I think last episode, but it's so bizarre to me that number one, this game speeds along the relationship you have with Jackie and, and the introduction to characters like mama Wells and Misty and stuff like that. Yeah. But also that, if you watched the trailers, like the cinematic trailers going into this game, you knew that Jackie was going to die. Like, mm-hmm it was in one of the cinematic trailers that they showed this entire heist mission. Uh, the getaway section is one of the cinematic trailers for this game. And so it still feels weird that they play it up for dramatics in the way that they do. Uh, don't know. Maybe that's a sign of what's to come with some of the narrative strangeness in this game. But uh, we head inside 
the security guard gives us some guff, gives us some some problems, some trouble, but we eventually say that we're here to say to, to see Dex, and he lets us in, and we sit at the bar, and we start having this great conversation, which actually I, I, I want to pause and talk about a bit, because I think this, this moment in the bar at Afterlife has been one of the most... Uh, like compelling moments for me so far in mm. cyberpunk is is just a moment where the game stops for for a second and lets you and jackie sit down and you have this conversation where you're talking about you know becoming legends and those sorts of themes that's been setting up with jackie and uh you get to hear about all these heroes and greats and you're talking to the bartender whose name i claire Thank Claire, you. Yeah. Thank you, Ken, for these <laughs> incredibly detailed notes that you've made mm-hmm. for us. Um, Anytime. And I think the the part that really sealed it for me is she notes that, like, you know, Jackie's like, how do I get uh, my name? How do I become one of these greats? And Claire's like, well, you got to bite it. <laughs> you got to mm. beef it on a mission, preferably as gloriously as you can. And they make allusion to only one character, one one person who potentially may be alive that has a drink at this bar. But it sort of set this thing out early that um, none of these legends get to live to benefit from their status. You know, Night City yeah. loves its legends, but it doesn't have any living ones. Uh, it only remembers them in the past, and it really struck me value. I don't know if that hit for anybody else, but it's... yeah, it's. I mean, it's a great moment for, as you said, the, the way that it, the game stops and just lets you have this very human moment with Jackie, who, who is, I think, one of the most human characters in the entire mm-hmm. game because yeah. he has the sort of like the. I mean, you know, uh, my one of my big problems with the game is that I think that V is just such an uninteresting asshole uh-huh. and then V gets Damn. paired up with for the bulk of the game Johnny Silverhand who is also this kind of uninteresting asshole <laughs> in, yeah. in my view and I mean Keanu makes him a little interesting but anyway that's a whole other conversation but Jackie <laughs> is has got layers I mean Jackie is like tough but sweet and like genuine you know he's just so sincere and right. that's like really endearing but also, like, what is so great about what's happening at this moment, too, is you really feel, I think, the buildup to the the fate, the, like, the fated, n- you know, night, the fated thing is approaching. It's like you're in the afterlife, mm. and the, the way the game mm-hmm. here makes you feel it as this truly legendary spot that so many uh, Night City legends have passed through is kind of uh, intoxicating. You even glimpse Rogue um, in the background, mm. right? And that's, and and so you start to feel when you're there these like deeper connections to Night City's history as well. And like you're kind of becoming part of like the le- legacy of the city, which the game then uh, through Johnny does attempt to like engage with in really interesting ways as you actually kind of leap back and experience some of that history but um yeah i mean also just there's that that conversation with 
Claire. The, it, there's a scene in, in in the film The Right Stuff about like NASA astronauts. Mm-hmm. There's a, mm-hmm. a famous scene in that film at a like a bar that all these test pilots hang out at, where like there's all these photos on the wall, and somebody asks Jet Chuck Yeager. Uh, the great test pilot, I think, asks like, "How do how do I get my picture on the wall?" And the bartender says, "Well, you got you got to die, honey. You got to <laughs> die in a plane crash." And so even that too has that kind of that air of like myth myth yeah. making uh-huh. about it, mm-hmm. right? That like you are now transcending just your your meager um, yeah human origins and maybe becoming a real part of the the myth and legend of this city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I thought the game, for for all of its faults, I did think the game, even with its accelerated, uh, you know, uh, introduction to your relationship with Jackie and speeding through a lot of that stuff, I, I actually thought the game did a pretty decent job of taking the little time you had and making the player, making me, want to have Jackie around. Like, mm-hmm. I... I immediately peeped Jackie as one of the most interesting people in this game, and it wasn't even close. And I totally agree with you, Carolyn, that, like, like, uh, like Keanu Reeves' pathos barely makes a dent in how yeah. uninteresting Johnny Silverhand is. Like, yeah. which is, you know, uh, I think that's probably mostly direction, honestly. I mean, it's like, sure. I love Keanu Writing Reeves. Writing and direction, yeah. Yeah, but it's like... I mean, we, yeah. Yeah, we because know that he's he's such a soulful actor inherently. Sure. I think. Um, yeah. So it's it's almost it's like at the same time it's like well thank God they got him because right like, otherwise that soulfulness what? Yeah. at least gives Johnny Silverhand something. But at the yeah. same time it's like uh-huh. oh man I wish that they would have let Johnny be totally. more vulnerable, more human. Um, but the other thing too I want to say about this whole sequence I mean you've got like which you know uh, leaping ahead just a little bit but this kind of like back room dealing conversation mm-hmm. with Dex there mm-hmm. and everything is is the intrigue, the sense of intrigue and plotting. Like, I really think that so many of the best uh, cyberpunk stories are fundamentally heist stories, not yeah. just necessarily in the sense that they involve, like, an actual heist in, in the literal sense, but in the sense that they involve, like, planning and lots of moving pieces and lots of characters of different skill sets and, and like lots and just lots of like intrigue and so Mm. these scenes where you have like um this is like what i want out of a game like this is yes like give me that experience of like the plan and the plan Mm. coming together Mm -hmm. and and the back room you know uh conversations you know i also love in uh, an earlier mission with evelyn uh where you're just in the in a room and she's giving you the details and there's just the holographic dancer there it's in these scenes have like a qu- kind of noir um mm. atmosphere to them of just like yeah like secrecy and intrigue that i find really compelling and it's it's all like to me it's it's frustrating because i really for me this is the best and most engaging section of the game in a lot of ways which is a yeah. problem when it when it comes like four hours into your 30 hour or 40 mm, hour uh-huh. game right yeah. <laughs> that it like never quite recaptures that level of like things feeling like they're building up to something really exciting yeah. or yeah. characters mm. 
in, you know, interacting in ways that are like intriguing and, and layered and, 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 you know, genuinely, genuinely human and interesting. I mean, there are, there are moments here and there for sure, but by and large, I think it kind of loses its way later. Not to like, to again, not to totally like get ahead, but it's like, mm. there's, there is part of me that believes that somewhere on the cutting room floor in the early stages of this game, uh, of making this game, that this, that this moment, the heist and Jackie's passing and all this stuff at some point happened way later in the story. Yeah, yeah. And, and all that shit that you saw at the beginning was at some point supposed to be part of the greater story. Like to me, that's what it mm. feels like because Right. Other, otherwise, why would you put something that is, and I agree, one of the most compelling, you know, stories and climaxes and, um, you know, uh, accelerations of a story? Why would you put that within the first, you know, fifth of the game and then never really reach that high again? You know, um, and it's not because they're bad at this, because they're not. They're, they're not. good at it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, something something has always struck me as odd about this section of the game um, because I think it is compelling and mostly good, actually. But it's so strange that it happens this soon and the game never really quite to quite gets around to this level again, at least in my experience. It, it really highlights it for me that uh, the, the living legend thing is built up to. And yeah. it's it's played up, but I feel like the ramp from V getting, you know, turned to a life of crime because every origin story is kind of how V becomes embroiled in, you know, the the shadier sides of the city and is trying to become a, a merc for hire, a gun for, you know, basically, you know, a contractor, <laughs> let's say. Right. Um, and become one of these legends is uh is kind of sped over and then we jump right to the point where they're like oh this is the big job and part of losing that means that yes we do get this montage of all these cool jobs that it would have been interesting to have that time with jackie and have that time with uh v seeing v really grow but it also ends up making the curve feel off for me where i feel like it's really weird the way the story is staggered out to where it feels like a large portion of it happens in the first third and then you have the last two thirds feeling like they take place over the course of like three days <laughs> and right and and at a very accelerated pace in a way that almost when, when you started talking about how it feels like this high should have taken feels like it should have taken place later on yeah um i i would have loved that ramp up more and f and felt like if if more of these elements you know your your different companions and all that were introduced earlier as you were rising up and not when you were already at rock bottom right uh it would have made that rock bottom punch a little bit harder yep. but um I, ken you were gonna say if, something. Yeah, if, I, if i can jump in here if i could add thoughts on a few points um specifically i i think when we're talking about this like weird pacing issue i think it, i mean in one way it's odd because it feels like the cast of Cyberpunk 2077 is fundamentally different by the end of the game mm -hmm. than it is in the mm -hmm. first third. And mm -hmm. that is like a weird pacing thing that comes, I, I think, and you know, we'll talk about this more when we get to the, the actual scene that happens. I think that is why Jackie is, I think the character that suffers most under it because like you see the potential of like something that they decided to sequester into a montage in that way. Like, I don't know that I personally have like a ton of attachment to 
the characters in the beginning of this game because like they're not there for very long. Whereas I have, I mean, honestly, like everyone here was just like dumping on V and, and Johnny Silverhand, but like their story is honestly the thing that kind of most resonates with me about this game in general. Because like, and even kind of it started with this scene and it happened, you know, in the conversation we had with Dex and the limo earlier is that like because I feel like for all like the what's the, the kindest way to put the thematic confusion of cyberpunk 2077 that comes from mm. i think broadly it being like you know this massive open world fucking game that has to be everything <laughs> to everybody yeah but just like in the, in the midst of all that i think like the actual thing they're talking about here at the bar were like are you like kind of like willing to to die to be a legend in night in night city like is going out in the blaze of glory and you know being somebody that has a, a drink named after them is that worth it to you? Or are you, as V, a character that maybe, like, do you maybe just care about surviving? Is that, like, you know, all that you're, you care about? And you, you have the option with Dex, and you had it you have it here as well to kind of, like, say, like, you know, play into that way that Claire and Jackie are talking here. We're like, oh, I guess there's no such thing as living legends. And that was the choice I ended up taking as my V, because I, that is kind of, like, the story that I'm writing, I guess, as the game is going on. It's like I'm trying to, like, you know, play this character that cares about being remembered and cares about, like, leaving, you know, his stamp on Night City and I know everyone here was just saying that V is like an angry asshole that sucks but <laughs> I actually really like V a lot and I think a lot of it I think a lot of that comes from you know projection as a player and like role playing and trying to you know pick decisions that seem in line with like a character that I'm kind of like writing in my head that is you know whether you know whether that works out or not and like whether the game can really support it the entire time is trying to like push back I think against the larger ethos of this game which is often very cynical and is often very you know like and that is what like johnny silverhand exists to do in this game is to tell you that nothing matters actually and that everything that you want to do to improve the lives of people around you or just like care about them as people is all meaningless um i think that's you know something that you kind of have to actively push against in this game and you know that's yeah kind of the nature of like choice-based games broadly is like if Right. I mean, I, I think it's very interesting that this is a game that uh, I, it's like I think it's a game that's about um, it's trying to be it's trying to comment on that sort of the emptiness of capitalist excess and mm-hmm. right. And like and the, the circumstances that make life feel meaningless in a place like Night City. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think that those themes can be worthwhile and interesting and and certainly if you or other players have an experience where the game approaches those in ways that are meaningful or interesting you know that's completely valid it's for you know my experience as a player was largely one where you know it rather than like exploring them to come to any kind of meaningful conclusion it just uh, felt to me to be like replicating to just be like that that reality of like yes yes nothing really matters here right. largely mm. and the, you know and and it's to me that that's like where that's like essentially the game's big misfire for me or failure because if it had some humanity at its core or if i if i felt humanity at its core i would be willing to forgive so much else um yeah. it's 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 that lack to me or right. um that that really makes it not cohe- not hold together in an interesting way. Ultimately, when I walk away from it, yeah. right. And I think it's, yeah. it has this larger issue of like like, like you said, it, it's content to show you these things as opposed to like ever having a solution in mind or like giving yeah. you the option as a player to do something to like make this 
you know, make this better. Or, you know, I mean, even if, like, if, if, if I felt that, that what the connection that developed between, say, V and Johnny Silverhand, if I felt, you know, it's like a lot of cyberpunk stories, I think this, I think this game reaches for something akin to transcendence in its endings, mm. or, but I just don't feel like it, it earns it because I never felt the, a real human connection there between those characters because to me they both they both Mm. to me v and johnny both put on such fronts of being like i'm i'm tough i'm i'm just a tough asshole and like there may be interesting stuff under that but to me they both seem so trapped in that performance that they're doing Mm. that yeah like i i i if only like something more had given way in those facades to to I think there could have been something really interesting there. And, and, and I'm not yeah, saying no, this oh, as like false modesty or, I mean, I, I legitimately mean this. I may not be imaginative enough to project qualities onto V because mm-hmm. I don't feel like that game gave me enough options to project anything onto. Like mm-hmm. that's just me. Like I, I may not just be working the right muscles. That's not the first time <laughs> that's happened with a game where you create uh, an avatar and go through it. There are a lot of games I don't have those connections with. So that's not to say that like this game just does that poorly. And I can't imagine how anyone could or couldn't uh, feel that way. But I never got to that point with my V. I I did so always the- kind of think of him as a fairly shallow. Uh, actually, him was the first time. Her the second time. Sure. I never really felt like she was all that interesting. Um. Because I just didn't feel like the game gave me the kind of choices. I mean, you know, fuck Bioware, I guess, for <laughs> for making for really ruining a lot of that for a lot of other studios yeah. because because right. they wrote it they wrote a check for themselves that they couldn't even cash, mm-hmm. let alone every other game development studio in the world, um, for you know a decade running now. But yeah, I just I could never get there. So that's where I'm coming from with with a lot of that. I don't want anyone at home to feel like. If you had a connection with V, yeah, you know, you uh, got there, right? No, like, I, I'm a big believer in the yeah. subjectivity of our experiences. I just, games. I just couldn't get there. That was just yeah. my right. experience. Yeah. And I think, and I think one thing, like we are, we are kind of like starting to talk about something that's like many, many episodes from now. Yeah, like, yeah, something I, also, yeah, that's true. <laughs> something also that I think was key to my connection with all those characters, and I think this is something we've talked about in our, the first episode. It's like there's part of me that wonders if like I pick like it was just like a lot of things coalesced for me in terms of the background I took, the romance I was in, mm-hmm. the side quests and relationships that I had, like, established with certain characters. Because I think, like, you know, it, it kind of plays into the way that this game is huge and, like, has, you know, various things to say, but, like, if it all comes together, it's largely dependent on, like, you know, the perspective of the character that you're playing and how you've like, kind of projected onto them. Because, like, I think a lot of the connection that I have to Johnny is often also tied into, like, say, the romance that I was in and mm-hmm. the way sure. that specific relationship plays into the larger story of Cyberpunk 2077 and all these themes that we're talking about here at the bar. And mm. in that way, like, certain relationships, I think, are going to play better into the themes than others, and we will get to them when we get to them. But it's, a, it's something that I'm recognizing as I'm, you know, as we're going through the season is that, like, I think I just kind of lucked into doing a lot of the things that make cyberpunk feel more cohesive than it actually is. Um, sure. And that just, you know, yeah. is happenstance. And right. I mean, it's, it's always fascinating with games like this, how different a two players experience can be mm-hmm. and how sure. you may happen upon a 
side quest thread, a like uh, you know something that just really resonates with you and that you find real meaning in. That happens to me in games all the time. Yeah, um, and you know that's part of the beauty and wonder of the interactive medium. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Maybe we should get back I, to yeah the, uh, the actual <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> events at hand. Let's bring it back was, to the afterlife it's, it's bar. Very, it's that very was a, good that conversation. That was a fun detour. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah, a fun yeah. conversation, <laughs> so I wanted to let it roll. And I do have a note specifically about the role-playing and things like that, but I have a specific moment that I'm planning mm. to bring it up later, so put a pin right. in that, folks at right. home. Uh, but I, d- I do want to circle back around to this idea of how quickly the intro moves, because as we move into this back room, like we were talking about, we finally go to meet Dex, and we sit down, and we sit down with T-Bug, who is a character that we theoretically are good pals with, <laughs> hang out with all the <laughs> Poor time. Poor T-Bug. Oh, T-Bug. Damn. Done yeah. so dirty by the story. <laughs> so dirty. Um, I actually love... I, I wanted to specifically mention T-Bug in this section because we talk with Dex and Dex gives us the whole heist rundown. And like you were saying, Carolyn, it's so good. And yeah. it, it reminds me, oddly enough, uh, of course, of like, you know, Ocean's Eleven and that sort of stuff, or even like a Mission Impossible movie where they're talking about how yep. they're going to get the yep. thing out of the Kremlin and all that. But yep. I was also thinking the whole time about what I like about Ghost in the Shell, and speci- specifically all the Section 9 stuff in Standalone Complex, where you're also looking at it at these multiple layers of people on the ground having to do things and then working with all the network people that are having to do the hacking and stuff like that. There's some really fun uh, person in the chair back home uh, assisting with the people in the field that I just right. really dig in a good yeah. heist. It's, it's always a good time. Love that stuff. Um, and but one of the more interesting parts here, I think, is after Dex leaves, you know, gives us the whole rundown, says, you know, go enjoy a drink, have a drink, but not too much. We got big stuff to do tonight. You can actually talk to T Bug a little bit and get an idea of kind of what her deal is and what she wants to do after this is all over. And she's just like, Yeah, I'm unplugging. I'm getting offline. I'm gonna go retire to some island where there is no more internet. And I was like, "Oh, T Bug, you, <laughs> you know, are another one of those like bright, bright flashing neon signs that oh yeah, shit is oh, yeah. shit is not gonna go well, folks. But yeah. so relatable, too. Oh yeah, oh hundred percent. Oh. Yeah, I'm like, my God, the day An I can finally unplug no from Twitter and walk away from games journalism <laughs> oh, will, be a, will be a beautiful day. It will be a great day. Much like a boat, the two best days of getting into games journalism. <laughs> um, God, that was too real on the podcast right now. Um, anyway, so anyway. we we do our whole heist and, and we jump forward a little bit. We, we do, by the way, have the option to tell Dex whether or not Evelyn, you know, oh, right. about Evelyn Holt trying to cut him out of the deal. Uh, I do think that's an interesting Who bit of would do flavor, that? But yeah, I don't yeah, know. Don't Who feels snitch? that kind of loyalty to Dex, man? Evelyn's... Evelyn's, I mean, Evelyn's cool? Yeah, I mean, Evelyn's like an enigma, but sure. I mean, she's I like, like, I feel like she's a fellow worker on some level. Yeah. Right? Solidarity. Yeah. I have more solidarity with her as somebody who's just trying to like scrape by in this hellish city, whereas Dex seems like he's, you know, he's... He's doing all right, you know. I, I was primed to not trust Dexter Deshaun because, and and your your listeners may or may not know this, but Dexter Deshaun, his design is modeled almost exactly like uh, professional wrestler Mark Henry, who had 
who had a, uh, a, a thing going in the early 2010s called the Hall of Pain, where he famously retired in the middle of the ring. And then John Cena came out to be like, wow, Mark Henry, I, congratulations on a great career. Wrestling's not going to be the same without you. And then Mark Henry basically beats the living shit out of John Cena for the next like ten minutes, and then he like st- and then he stays and he wins the title and he just ah. he he runs roughshod over everyone for yeah. like a year. So I was primed to not trust Dexter Deshaun <laughs> because he looks Meditation exactly there. <laughs> like yeah. I mean, I was just like, okay, someone at CD Projekt Red was watching that WWE <laughs> shit in early 2010s, and I'm like. I got you. I'm not going to trust this guy. So, yeah. And I was like, who was he I? walks I'm into like, the office that day and is like, you guys think we'll be fucked guys, up. Guys, yeah. I got this. <laughs> I've got the best fucking idea, y'all. Um, uh, but, yeah, I'm not going to sell Evelyn up the river. Hell no. I mean, I would I would love to talk to someone who does, but I, I certainly didn't. Hey, Eric, how are you? <laughs> uh, okay, look. Oh, no. Look. It... Eric. I, was, I was I was trying to delay this until later because wow. there's, there's a point later where I feel like the importance of me role playing a character is very important. Sure, but I am playing a corpo cutthroat asshole in this game, <laughs> <laughs> and we will talk at length about that in just a few short moments. But my character, when I played this, when I played this originally, I did not do that. But my my corpo character absolutely tried to get some goodwill out of Dex and get that extra cut because that's leverage, baby. That's mm-hmm, good right mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable, Eric. The power of role-playing. That's fair. I like that's how fair. it took it took four years for you to be the renegade and I be the paragon in the game. It's, look, to be fair, CD Projekt gave me if nothing else, a fun playground to be renegade in. I'm just mm-hmm. saying. Yeah, fair enough. Um, anyway, so we we get in our suits. We get all dressed up. Uh, we hit the button that magically takes us into the quest. We don't mess around with doing extra world stuff because at this point there's frankly not much of it to do, as we talked about in the previous episode. Uh so we we get in our Delamain car and we get introduced to my least favorite character in the video game, Delamain. Wow, <laughs> Delamain. Yeah. I hate Delamain <laughs> so much. So, why? And let me let me tell you why. All right, let me give you the short version of why. He starts out as, "Oh, cool, there's this AI taxicab company in Night City." And there's like some tension because obviously the human taxi drivers don't want to get pushed out by the, you know, uh, the word I can't think of, the automation of their of their jobs by AI. That's going to cut them out of their cash flow. They're going to lose their jobs for that. There's some interesting tension there. Meanwhile, Delamain just wants to be a cool taxi that also might be becoming sentient. Who knows? <laughs> and, uh, I, I like the beginning of Delamain's stuff a lot. And then Delamain becomes an excuse for CD Projekt to just do memes and then end mm, it with yes. some story about like, oh, wow, AI can become sentient. Isn't that weird? Anyways, 
Delamain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, it, it, like, what if Uber was run by Max Headroom is absolutely a fucking thing that we're going to see in the next five years out <laughs> of uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah. But, but yeah, like, what Delamain turns into, that entire fucking side quest is just I like... I hate it so much. The, when, when I pulled up to that area of the map that's basically Santa Monica or wherever the fuck... Um, and they started to do the cake is the, the, a lie shit. I, yeah. I like, Gross. I pushed back my chair from my desk and it was like, <laughs> wow, we're really doing this, huh? Like we're really doing this. And I feel like it was about 18 months before, um, cake is a lie jokes, like became kind of like went all the way the fuck back around into being like so <laughs> terrible. I'll kind of laugh at them. Um, but no, that was, that was, yeah, that was really bad. Memes yeah. date your writing. They always so date bad. your writing. And was, like, you wrote something from like 10 years prior to when your was, thing came out first. <laughs> that was my biggest complaint with Guacamelee. We shouldn't get into this, but it's like Guacamelee <laughs> was like, y'all painted such an interesting thing, but you had like a grumpy cat poster in your fucking, like yeah. in the second screen. Mm-hmm. I was like, yo. Yeah. Like, you make like a fun can't little do this. Yeah. yeah, like a fun little side is one thing, but literally the whole Delamain thing is yeah. just like, what That's if the joke. taxi robots were wacky and stuff? And yeah. oh, God, it could have been so much more. But Delamain here is like, cool, well, I'm going to drive you to this place. And I do like also the idea that uh, people doing, uh, let's say, shadier work uh, employ Delamain specifically because it removes the human element from the equation. I think that's also mm. potentially interesting uh topic material uh topic fodder that then just gets pushed to the side after it gets brought up um but you know we mostly just get told about how sick delamain cars are and they have a combat mode yeah oh we can't turn the combat mode on oh i guess we'll never get to see it (laughs) (laughs) um anyways yeah we we get there we arrive at the actual arasaka hotel where we are going to pull off this heist um we can we can bust out the the oh god the hammer is the hammerhead the the robot flathead flathead flathead, flathead. um yep. we you know jackie brings it in in a little briefcase and we're all looking like weapons dealers and i love just the general idea that weapons dealers are walking into these hotels to do deals in the hotel rooms like again just really interesting fun uh flavor on top of all of it and uh, we we get stopped a little bit at the weapons check, and then they're like, "Oh no 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 no! They're here to they're here to meet with somebody important. You can you can go on ahead. It's all good." Uh, and then we go up to the uh, clerk at the front desk, and as we are checking in, and we have this cover that we're here to meet with some Arasaka person about a weapons deal, and that's how we get the flathead in. Uh, the person, the clerk at the desk, says. Oh, how about I just call ahead? I'll let them know you're here so you can set the meeting. We're like, no, we don't want that because, like, we're not actually having this meeting. It's a fake thing that's going on. And if they call up, we're going to get blown. We're going to get cheesed straight away. Uh, So we can either try to cover it like a normal person or you can do what I did, which is click the Corpo button. And let me tell you about the joys of the Corpo button (laughs) in Cyberpunk 2077. V just snaps and is like, did I tell you you should do that? Did I tell you 
that's what you should do? How about you listen? How about you pay attention and don't do things until you're asked to do them? Do I need to talk to somebody? Are we good? You should do better. And like walks away. And Ken, so Ken was watching me play this. I, I was I was playing it and streaming it in the Discord so Ken could see some of the corpo stuff like that. And when I tell you, Ken was shell-shocked at what just happened. Like my retail trauma, like, like right. just unearthed. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> I've worked, I've worked I, I retail was, too. I was I've deeply worked, I, bothered. I and I don't know how you didn't just reload your save. And I was like, oh, I'll just be fucking nice to somebody. I'll have manners. And just be like, no, no, we're fine. Thank you. Yeah. Rude. Okay. Hateful. We are being... We are being corpos. We are acting the part. Do you think Oof. that a corpo is going to walk in there and say their P's and Q's? Well, no. you got fired from your corpo job, so like, stop pretending that you're still a corpo. Oh, no. I, look, as, <laughs> yeah, as, Jackie, now. as Jackie says, the once a corpo, always a corpo, right? There's, yeah. there's the whole dialogue that you have once, once you get up there, and that might have actually been a corpo-specific thing, too. But you can like remark to Jackie cause you're talking about Saburo Arasaka and how he had like basically gone on this stint to work with a bunch of Merc companies and, and do a bunch of uh, you know, off the ledger stuff just because he was bored. And, and it's again, probably one of my favorite parts in cyberpunk so far is they have this whole conversation about how the rich kids of these executives will just literally get, artificial bodies or get super augmented and just go do Merc work for like 20 years. Cause they feel like it. And then whenever they're ready to come back and do their, uh, you know, get their board seat, you know, it's, it's dusted off and ready for them. And Jackie's like fucking tourists. <laughs> and I loved playing a corpo in that moment because my V knew exactly what was going on. Like my V cut through that bullshit because my V is part of that bullshit. And I'm, I'm telling you, I love the Corpo playthrough of cyberpunk. It is fascinating to deal with the text in this way that is not coming at it from the perspective of the nomad who is much more acquainted with stuff outside the city. And I think that playthrough, I, I enjoyed the nomad stuff, but it was very segmented from what was happening inside night city and very different from the street kid, which is, gives you more insight on the ground level when you're doing that stuff. But the second you start dealing with these heists, with these executives, right. with all the the large scale thriller stuff, the corpo stuff is so good. It's mm. really, really good. And it just means you have to be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love how much they let, you know, they let you be a little shitty brat when you're a corpo. I mean, it's mm-hmm. definitely, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that stuff's definitely on point. And when I played through, um, parts of this game as Corpo, I definitely took it to mean like, you know, I don't know. Sometimes, I, honestly, this is maybe giving too much of myself away, but it's like, you know, I honestly kind of felt like how I felt when I was going through business school. Like I've got an MBA mm-hmm. and by the end of my MBA, I was like, wow, I've seen how the sausage is made and it fucking sucks. And like, mm-hmm. and you know, the other 20 people in my class were like, no, the sausage rules. And I was like, Man, no, uh, this sausage is bad, y'all. And like, <laughs> and I did appreciate being able to play a corpo kind of through that lens. Mm-hmm. Although, mm-hmm. although you can never really, you know, you can you can say that, but you're never really out of it, right? So, right, right. There was there was definitely this kind of interesting internal conflict that I could 
project onto my V in that sense. So I thought that was that was well done. I, I agree. Right. right. I think it, you know, first of all, those dynamics are, are so real. I think we recognize, you know, uh -huh. yeah, I mean, I have had mm -hmm. plenty of retail experiences with the pe people who uh, who obviously come from the corporate world and are just very entitled and, and you know, talk to you in dehumanizing and belittling ways. But it's interesting. Yeah, it also complicates V a bit in the sense of like, well, is V in that moment, like saying that because that like, do they honestly have those? Do they re retain do they, a sense yeah. of like entitlement from right. their life mm -hmm. in the corporate world, or are they just like do they, they just being know. tactical and like okay, I have to do this to right. preserve the job? And you know, you don't really know. I mean, it's it's kind of open to interpretation, but that's yeah. interesting in a way, right? Like, or you can yeah. you can headcanon it like however you want for your mm. corpo v. Like maybe the reason they got kicked out is they weren't like actually they didn't really have that you know, bloodthirsty, like right. ruthlessness that one, a mm -hmm. person needs to succeed right. in the world or, you know, or maybe they really did get just, in, you know, pushed out by people who were just even more, you know, evil mm. than, than, than them. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. It, it lays some interesting textural foundation to then yeah. say, if V had a shot, you know, once V gets this big break, does V want to be a living legend? Because living legends are not exactly congruous with being a corpo in this world. A corpo would much rather live forever. <laughs> and yeah. a living legend wants right. to go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah, and the so, corpos, you know, want to make the so many eddies that they can just keep buying, like, younger bodies right. effectively, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, like, yeah. live literally almost effectively in that world live forever. We're, we're going to get to a, a scene here where we get just a beautiful representation of that dynamic of the the corpos don't want to loosen their grip ever whereas the living legends kind of want to have their moment and then be remembered forever even if that's at the cost of their mortal existence and i do like playing in that area as a v because it's you know it, it's just interesting it just adds an extra layer and in a game that i do feel sometimes struggles to give you those moments to have it I really do like playing Corpo has been freeing in that way because I feel like I'm getting at least twice as many, if not three times as many options to be that character as I was with the Nomad, which is a different yep. frustration entirely, but also yeah. speaks to the different role playing potential depending on what origin path you pick and how some maybe get served a little bit better than other. Maybe <laughs> one specifically just does not feel like it has the same care as the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk a lot about the Nomads in depth once we get to, like, Pan Am and all that stuff, but, yeah, it really feels like Nomads are just over there doing Nomad stuff sometimes, and that could be theoretically interesting, but it doesn't always come to fruition in ways that are as interesting as Street Kid or Corpo, but... Yeah. Uh, before we head up to the hotel room and set this up, we do have to note that Hideo Kojima is in this video game. Kojima Dude. does pop up. You know, <laughs> yeah. can't can't miss that opportunity. <laughs> uh, and then we also see some other people kind of drinking and hanging around, and we can poke around for a little bit. But really, we head up to our floor. Uh, we get into the hotel room, uh, and we get set up to to let the flathead loose eventually. But first, have T Bug kind of do this whole uh networking hacking stuff that she needs to do on her end and then wait for the window of opportunity to arrive 
Uh, and that's when you can have that conversation with Jackie about Saburo Arasaka and all the Arasakas. Because really, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on under the surface that you can start to dive into if you want to about what do the power dynamics in the world of cyberpunk look like right now? Why is Arasaka in this very interesting moment of uh, upheaval? And why is it interesting that Saburo is in night city and things like that? Um, um, as a really quick aside, mm-hmm. I, I it, if there was a mod, okay. And tell me if this is out there, folks, if there was a mod that lets me go into that hotel room and basically just stay there in the day night cycle and weather like changes constantly and i can turn on my own shit on the tv like just like i can watch news radio now on oh my god on that tv and just vibe in that hotel room i would probably do that um because i i did like i did like vibing in that hotel room mm-hmm. yeah Anyway. John, I hate to tell you that the thing you're probably looking for is VR chat. I was, and it li- probably, I was just going to say, <laughs> I bet, it I probably bet somebody's made you're probably it exists, right. it's in VR chat. You're yeah. probably right. You're probably uh-huh. right. I should, uh-huh. uh, I should, I should dust off my, uh, my uh, quest. The, uh-huh. the metaverse is real and it's much stranger than and you it's think it's much, going to be. Yeah, that's true. All right. Anyway, but I just love way I better love, than what Facebook's making. I love that. I love that that hotel room i just love it. i'm a sucker so for a nice. good hotel suite oh the know? atmosphere oh, the atmosphere oh. is terrific it's great yeah. yeah a good a good hotel room is nothing to uh oh, love it to, to love shake it. your head at it's so good um again game journalist talk <laughs> 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 um eventually after some time uh we we need to let the flathead loose because it's got to do some vent crawling and we do this interesting kind of mini game where we're basically just playing find the hidden object in the room over yeah. and over again yeah it's something uh, uh it, it's it's in moments like this that that the limit t- it's i mean i you know i understand the the on rails nature of this whole sequence but it, it's so uh i mean when you know the for me a big part of the potential of a cyberpunk game cyberpunk you know lower case like just the genre mm-hmm. um not necessarily the tabletop rpg but you know is is in the potential of like you know uh, of like hacking and just the freedom of that and figuring out you know interesting solutions and stuff and you know, that's definitely that's one of those areas too where this game really kind of falls short it doesn't it's not the it's not your deus ex right, you know right. kind of hacking power fantasy um right it's that stuff feels pretty rudimentary throughout and here too it's like um i mean i i think it's fine that in this sex section it's it's all pretty much on rails because it is a plan that is very precisely designed to be executed in a very specific way because of all the risks involved and everything. And so there's actually some pleasure in that. But at the same time, there is that tension of like, oh yeah, this game really isn't mm, letting me live the, the, the cyberpunk right. fantasy and, right. uh, as I think of it. Yeah, I'd, I'd almost, <laughs> this might be too complex, but uh, I, I'd love for it to be kind of like a deus ex situation where you do maybe go in there with a rough idea of a plan, but you have to kind of 
suss out what the finer details are once you're there and maybe things change. I mean, things do change in this, in this heist that you have to kind of adapt to, but it still feels very on rails and almost the way that like a call of duty mission does where it's really just kind of giving you waypoints that tell you where to move and where to look for and what to do. There's not really that openness that makes it feel like you are not just solving a puzzle, but adapting to things that are happening, happening in real time. It more kind of feels like you're just following a, a path that the oh, designers yeah. have laid out for you oh yeah that this was the moment where i was like oh this is not an immersive sim in any way like mm-hmm. where where i was like i was kind of waiting for the game to fully reveal that to me because i was like i'm getting the sense that most of the stuff i want to do doesn't really matter and this was the this was the entire sequence that i was like ah so this is just kind of what the game is it's it's not really doing the stuff that i for, for whatever reason, whether it was marketing or just my own expectations projected onto this game. Um, for better or worse, the game kind of showed me what it really was during these sequences. Yeah. And I my my moment did come until later. I can actually pinpoint the exact mission in this game where in my first playthrough I stopped trying to stealth because I just felt mm, like it wasn't yep. encouraged. And it was well, the mall... Uh, I think it's the mission name is like Map Ten Pelin. It's when oh, you're yeah. working with the Voodoo Boys and you have to like sneak into the mall. Uh, halfway into that, I was just like, "This isn't giving me anything for playing stealth," and I just pulled my guns out and started playing it like Call of Duty. And you know that wasn't mm-hmm. as interesting in the immersive sim way, but I did start having at least a little bit more fun with the game because I was like, "Okay." Oof. Now I get to engage with more of the game, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's I get to use the guns. It's interesting that you say that. I mean, again, we haven't gotten to that quest yet in this way, because I've been feeling very rewarded by stealth, except for something that happens in the heist mission that we'll get to. Um, and so, like, I certainly, because, like, that's what I've been expecting into this entire time, so I hope it's going to be worthwhile by the time we get there in, like, three episodes. I think my corpo V is just like, nah, I'll just shoot people <laughs> and hack them. I do like hacking in this. I like combat <laughs> hacking in this game. I don't like mini game hacking in this game, yeah. but I think yeah. the combat hacking in this game is it's pretty cool. It's not it complex, has, it has its but it's, it's goofy. Yeah. It's goofy. It's goofy. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Yeah. Making somebody just burst into flames or whatever. Yeah. They did make it as frictionless as possible. <laughs> and I say that, acknowledging that that's both a good and bad thing because i do like friction in some of my role-playing systems yeah 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 you know this is not quadrilateral cowboy or anything but it's also like you get to point and somebody's optics blow up and stuff like that you get to have the fun with that yeah um so once we get the the flathead working through and get it to basically like sit on this poor Netrunner security guy's chest and torture him while we're doing this whole heist. So like the one, the one Netrunner, right? Mm-hmm. The one, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been dealt with. Terrific. Yeah. Um, we get going, and so we uh head up to the the penthouse suite. Uh, and God. I, I was like breezing through the notes, Ken, and then saw that really bad joke that Jackie tells and went through like 14 stages of horror in the span <laughs> of a single second. Like, it's a weird. I mean, for listeners, the joke is why the Rocker Boys output kick him out because he wasn't chipping in. And it's so layered in everything, like, so much cyberpunk stuff that we don't even right. know yet. Like, that's the thing, is that it was so like self referential in a way that was 
all, like, I, like I guess turned around to being funny to me just because like it almost felt like lack of that. That feels like the version of cyberpunk that is like in the marketing that feels like oh everyone's gonna be super into this game and understand the jokes that we're making understand the references that, like you know both internal and external about like what they're talking about because like you know the game's full of references to things that are outside but this is a very in- insular reference to something that a majority of players aren't gonna know and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i was just like that's why would that be funny to anybody other than like the characters that are in the room when it's being spoken and that's just like you know i mean that's not like it's a weird thing to say like does writing need to be for the people that are experiencing the thing or can it just be a thing that is expressing who these characters are to each other but just like the, the very specific reference of chipping in also that that's going to come into something in a, in a little bit later and another way that i think chipping in as a thing is not used well in this game um i don't no. know it, it was just a, it, it stuck out to me and yeah uh and and we we head up and also I want to say that using output as like a reference to like lover is just bizarre in this world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they were just it, it, throwing yeah. darts at the board there. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if that's. I suspect that that's like an old like Mike Pond Smith, you know, tabletop thing, yeah. cyberpunk tabletop thing, right? Just part of his part of the whole lexicon of cyberpunk. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, 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 I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, also, it is why is it an output and not in, right. right. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you know, well, Eric, um, you know, we could, we could sit down and have this input, chat now. Output. <laughs> um, feels like someone else should have had this conversation with yeah. you, but that's fine. Well, I'm now, now I'm trying to remember if they ever used input at all yeah. in the game or if it was always out. Did they use input as they well? Use yeah. Okay, I only ever heard output. I, I think I remember though that the specifics of which is which, seemed odd. Seemed vague. Yeah. What, okay, let me go. What is an input in Cyberpunk? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to get well, so much SEO guide optimized content? Now. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Um, da, 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 da. In typical heterosexual relationship, output refers to the woman. Input refers to the to the man. Um. What? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Uh, mm. Okay. Mm. I wait. So input <laughs> refers to the man. Y'all, in, I can't believe in, we're getting hung up on this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that just, anyway, that, that seems strange to me because how do the right. oven ot put the hot in of? <laughs> 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 I. <laughs> I'm gonna dwell on this for hours later. <laughs> um. Anyways. That's our other podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, we finally head into the actual apartment, which is kind of cool. It's this moment of like we've brain danced in this area and we've seen the whole layout and there's like a nice little reward for if you found his pistol, uh, your uh, Saburo, uh his pistol, it's over there by the bed so you can go snatch it. And it's a, I, uh, I like clarify, stuff like that. We, we've been saying Saburo the whole time. We're, the son is Yornobu. Oh, it's Yornobu. That's my yeah. bad. That's on me. Yeah. Okay. Yorinobu. Um, uh, Yorinobu's pistol is over on the side. And uh, we can go pick that up and then head over to the super sick freezer fridge <laughs> that's over built into the apartment on the side. Uh, and of course, you know, we're pulling it up, we're getting it, we get the, the package out, and then we start hearing, oh no, Yorinobu's here. He's coming up to the suite. Uh, he's, he's, He's home early. The parents are home early. Get out of there, Aaron Carter. Um, <laughs> and 
we basically have a moment where uh, we see this. I, I do like the helicopter coming in. I think that's fun because that kind of sets up that, oh, something really is like going down, going down. And we go and hide inside a wall panel where uh, Jackie and our character V have to basically sit there trying not to say anything, but also talking a lot in whispered tones as they do so as your Nobu and Adam Smasher come up on the elevator. Everybody remembers our favorite character, Adam Smasher with his <laughs> hit line. What was it? Fuck meat. Fuck uh, you yeah, like he's fucking disgusting. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Which look, you know, make, make bad characters, make bad villains, like just dudes that are completely detestable. Shout outs to Seymour Guado from our final fantasy 10 season. <laughs> but, uh, that's really all that Adam Smasher gets to do in this game. So whatever. He's this they dude walking around. Things and hit people. Yeah. And has a missile pod on his shoulder, which I I always look at and I'm like, that's that's like OSHA violation right there. But uh he comes in and then coming down from the helicopter that we saw pass by is Saboro, the father, Saboro, uh, and Goro, a character who we don't know a ton about yet, but maybe we'll get to know. Um Goro starts to scan the room and we start freaking out, obviously, because, oh, oh no, we might get found. But then Saboro cuts him off, says, it's my son. Like, what do you think is wrong here? And he's, he gets tells him to get out. I got to talk to my son real quick. Um, and Saboro and Yornobu get into a fight. And this is when I was talking earlier about how the Corpos don't want to loosen their grip. We get that here with Saboru and Yorinobu, where both of these dudes want to be the top dog. And it is, you know, let's all pull out our textbooks and turn to the Oedipal Complex <laughs> and discuss this a little bit. But it is this classic story of the son wants to inherit the father's empire, but the father doesn't want to hand it down to the son because he believes that the son does not understand, um, is, is going to lead his empire astray. It's to... Uh, male patriarchal characters at the top of this this company vying for control and direction and all that. And and then the son kills the father. Just kills him right in front of us <laughs> against the panel and everything. Um, yeah. Bam. I, the whole, the whole inter- interchange or exchange between them two is also, to me, uh, and I mean, other writers, other people have spoken about this much more knowledgeably than I than I can speak to it. But um, it it reeks a bit of like the racist '80s perception mm. of like uh, of Japanese kind of business mm-hmm. men mm-hmm. and 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 like the the whole like c- cyberpunk uh, history of the portrayal of. Um, Japanese culture, Japanese individuals as a kind of like invasive, um, hostile kind of right. virus, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. I think w- one point um, uh, the father says like uh, talks about you know the w- Westerners are barbarians, right? Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. just yeah, that yeah. kind of I mean, so it's like, yeah. it's like this stereotypical idea of like almost like feudal mm-hmm. attitudes mm-hmm. or ideologies, like in the but. Also, you know, in the sort of sci-fi cap- hyper-capitalist um, uh, in- environment. So, 
little, you know, obviously a, a little right. troubling in that regard as well. Um, yeah. But. Right. Uh, if yeah. I can make a quick plug yeah. to fanbyte.com. Uh, yeah. If you'll look up Fear of a Yellow Planet, what, why we need to actually understand Cyberpunk by Alexa Song. Uh, great article on this in the context of Cyberpunk 2077 mm-hmm. as, why, as how that is something that runs through the Cyberpunk genre as it's particularly uh, written by right. people in the West. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good piece. Yep, yep. it is. Piece. And there, sure. yeah, there are a lot of issues with uh, with this portrayal. But um, yeah, um, yeah, the son gives uh, the dad like a bit of a neck massage. It looked like, and then mm-hmm. the dad just kind of passed out. And it's that's it's almost. I, I just remarked to Ken during the scene that I was like, man, like it was kind of weird how quickly Saboro died. I mean, it was real scene. fast. Yeah. It was like, it was like he like tickled his neck and then Saboro fell over. And I was like, that was a hit. That was like a Hitman <laughs> agent 47 <laughs> takedown right there. Like just gave him the, the Vulcan neck pinch and he went down. <laughs> like, in terms um, of, yeah. But in terms of it's like seeming ramifications or implications for night city and like the world of cyberpunk, it is huge. I mean, because Arasaka and these characters have loomed large over the lore of cyberpunk, you know, for so long. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, in theory, like the idea of you get you get to be there not only to witness this, like the end of um, of Saboru's like reign, um, but then also to kind of ride out the 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 aftermath of that. I, I mean, it's it's narratively exciting in a way, or at least like it's a moment that feels like it has a lot of potential, I think. Right. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, uh-huh. I, 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 again, I don't really feel that the game delivers on that as well mm-hmm. as it should have or could have, but um, you know, I feel like the, it, it's like you're at this moment of potential, like real transformation for Night right. City. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, th- that's the other thing about the best cyberpunk stories for me. Um, they, you know, they may have heist elements, but they also, um, and here I'm thinking particularly of like the works of William Gibson, um, but mm-hmm. they often will bring you as a reader to a moment of like, of like where the, uh, the, the cha- you're at a point of change so uh, vast in its like ramifications for the world and for everyone that you know, you, you can't. You almost can't even imagine what's going to come next. And mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like this is one of those moments where, my God, I mean, it's it's so it's so profound and it's in its significance. Um, and yeah, it's so you know, it's exciting to be at that moment um, where it feels like everything is going to change. Mm. Yeah, it's it's an incredible moment that I do think becomes really muddy because part part of the mm. intensity of the moment for me is that it's like a crime of passion essentially right this is not mm. like you know i don't think your nobu walked into this room expecting that he was going to choke his dad to death right but um part of that's that's like number one is like this big shift of power in night city was not like premeditated this was just an argument between two people um but also then you have, you know, he, he calls for help and Smasher and Goro come back into the room and Goro goes mm. down and, and the son's like, oh, he's poisoned. Somebody poisoned my father. And Goro's <laughs> like, are you sure? And again, I'm just thinking, like, shouldn't there be 
basic forensics at this point because later on Goro will kind of be like oh what is the truth behind this and obviously he does not trust you but he is kind of looking for some truth in this but it it was this moment of like I I don't know it it seems like maybe this this whole scene of the whole thing with Saboro being taken out and Yorinobu taking over ends up just feeling like a way for them to kind of blow the heist and then well, they kind of try to bring Arasaka stuff back in and make it more important later. It is ultimately what gets Goro on on your team and all that, but yeah. it, it really feels like it's just ways for them to kind of keep Arasaka in the picture for V. And I it does almost feel like I, you know, you're a fly on the wall for this moment that has absolutely nothing to do with you, and specifically Sporo's death doesn't do a ton outside of become a character driver for Goro later I, in his missions. I don't know that I agree with that on a, on a few levels, because, like, one, like, we haven't gotten to what's in the box that Jackie's got, and that is going to be, like, a more direct tie than anything that's, like... Like, yeah, this has ramifications for Arasaka as, like, a, you know, yeah, a company. I'm just and, saying that's it keeps Arasaka the company in the picture because the device came from Arasaka. Arasaka is chasing you. That gives you, like, that connection there. Well, and even beyond that, like... You know, the specifics of, like, our connection to what's in the box. And, like, we, we're just elevating the thing in the box while actually just talking about what it is. But, like, the the thing that that signifies for this company, and, like, also that Carolyn was talking about, like, how this, this in the, you know, in a different story could have been, like, you know, a moment of specific change, that thing represents how it's not. and Or, it, like, it, it might not be. And that death is not necessarily the signifying change that it would be in other stories. And... You know, it gets into larger conversations that we're talking we've been having about like how, you know, corpos don't want to let go of their power even if they have to go to unnatural means to do so. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in that way, like it all ties in 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 a larger way than I think is just simply like the thing in V's head ties them to Arasaka. I think it is a larger signifier of like this company's and these two individuals place in the world and what they're willing to do to keep that place in this world. And in that way, like, I, I don't feel like us being here is insignificant in as much as like it is. I, I think it ties more to more into the larger theme that the game is talking about more than it is specifically. Why does V have to stay involved in this? I'm, I'm probably mm. getting ahead of ourselves here because the Arasaka stuff is going to move into the background. Definitely for like the next few episodes that we have. Yeah. Um, We'll, we'll circle back around once we meet Goro again, but even then, uh, at, at both our recording cadence and the pace at which the game kind of takes it, it, Arasaka will kind of fade into the background as we focus on other lines of inquiry and solving the thing that is soon to be in our heads. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Um, anyways, obviously, things go bad. Uh, l- thankfully, all related parties immediately leave the scene of the crime. Again, kind of strange but you know we we roll with it because it gives us our our opportunity to get out of the wall panel and then t-bug who is about to get us an evac route uh gets you know gets made and we basically hear her get fried from the other end and then the door opens afterwards which i'm still ruminating on (laughs) (laughs) it was her final her final act, right? Mm. Through the agony, mm. she somehow she punched the thing that opened the door that got us got us a chance to get I, out of there. 
I hear a GDQ runner in the background being like, it's see, actually the door here is has a trigger on it that's related to T-Bug's health stat. So what we do is we call this the T-Bug skip. Right. <laughs> um we get made because that's faster. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, it, it, like before we like, you know, move on to what you're doing, just like pour one out for T-Bug. Just like yeah, did not yeah. get oh, yeah. the respect Did not needed. get any, any, any sort of real time. Yeah. We, no. we don't, if I can momentarily beef with CD Projekt Red and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I'm not wrong in this. T-Bug was the closest we got to a super sick net runner in this game. Yes. Because we barely spend any like, time with the Voodoo Boys. And when we right. do, it's largely with the muscle of the Voodoo Boys right. and not the net that's, runners themselves. Th- and th- that's what I mean. Like that where's like the cool net running aspect of this game? Like how did they not un- how did they not think like boy we really need to like even narratively, you know, throughout what follows, really mm-hmm, mm-hmm. beef up that aspect of it, man. For, for a cyberpunk game that does yeah. have net running accoutrement scattered about it, there is often, like, things are way more corporeal than yes. I want them to be. Like, yeah. you, you have moments of meeting... Um, Ken, you're going to help me here. Former Flame of Johnny's. Uh, Rogue? No, alt? no. Giant, giant. Yeah, Alt Cunningham. Yeah. Like, you hear stories of Alt, and you yes. you kind of get some, you have the moment where you meet giant Alt, you know, Lady Dimitrescu Alt. <laughs> and uh, you have T-Bug, who is wearing a super sick, like, almost ghost-in-the-shell type net running suit and is is all like doing cool stuff in the background and all that but they're just like again to to call back to something like hacking is frictionless in this world but that's also where it it falls short in that way because you just don't get to see all those cool net running moments i want to feel like i'm you know almost the way that playing android netrunner makes me feel when i'm pulling runs on a server and breaking ice and looking for stuff like oh yes i wanted some of that and i mean obviously you know as we all know what (laughs) what ends up in your head there's you know uh the the game has a great sort of ghost in the machine component Mm -hmm. to it Mm -hmm. and it's narrative very significant but yeah it like yeah where's the where's the the, the cool the net running the aspect the ice the yeah the hacking in hacking through uh corpse defenses to get at uh some really juicy data on the matrix or you know whatever it is there's too much chipping in and not enough jacking in there that you is go. my uh, complaint whoo, nailed it nailed got, it we got the deck for the review <laughs> um so anyways, we, we head out along the side of the building, end up getting caught by trauma team coming in. I actually like that a lot. You know, they bring the trauma team aspect back in, which is, you know, from one of the tutorial missions that you do early on, uh, you get introduced to the concept of trauma team and people having a Netflix subscription service for getting healthcare on the go. Yeah, it's, um, it's a cool world building detail when you... Yeah. Yeah. actually see it in in action right and it feels it feels kind of organic and and real 
and you've seen that trauma team is not just like an EMT squad. They're like fully armed and have yeah. super high tech weapons right. and stuff. So yeah. when you see them come in and Jackie's like, oh shit, that's trauma team. Like immediately you go, oh, that's bad. This is bad. We can't yeah. get caught here. Uh, it's a good shout out CD project. When you do get it, it's a good moment. Uh, mm-hmm. But then you do your whole jump onto the the perfectly 45 degree glass window slide down and land in uh this little alley like like almost a nook within the the walls and the gaps where all the the cables are running and uh you're in a bad you're in a bad state jackie's hit jackie's bleeding and also the the thing that you have stolen the case is leaking coolant i guess I, i don't know um the the state of it is rapidly decaying and so we get on a call we we in the most incriminating moment of the entire game we just use a cell phone to call evelyn parker which i'm sure she's thrilled about uh and uh we find out we gotta shove this data shard into one of our slots and so jackie volunteers and jackie shoves this mysterious uh, relic data shard into uh, Jackie's neck and his eyes glow. And it's a cool little foreshadowing moment. Maybe there's something going on there. And we do a whole evac from the place and we can either stealth our way out of here. If we want to try and not make noise or we can blast our way out of here. If that's our preference. Um, Ken, Mm. did you stealth this area? Did you like full stealth it? I didn't tell it was an armored guy that I had yeah. to kill for a key. Cause I, can't, I can't stealth him. I can't you know, <laughs> sneak up behind him. So mm-hmm. thanks, CD Projekt Red. Really felt rewarded by my build in the sequence. I mean, it worked for like 75% of the thing. Yeah, yeah. I think I yeah. remember that exact situation as well um, when I was playing it originally and being like, oh, it's a... A Deus Ex Human Revolution boss. I am not allowed to stealth this one. Right. <laughs> I have to, I have to, to do the shooties now. Um, but I do like that. At least at that moment, no matter what you do, end up running out to the Delamain cab in a you know hail of gunfire. Fun fact: I did once play this section uh, and take out everybody in the area, <laughs> and then get into the cab, and it does still. It like still does shoot bullets thing. at you and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Adam yeah. Smasher shows up. That's well. So Adam Smasher shows up, but I mean, like they still have guards that are like, like you, mm. you open the door and you look down. When you look back up, they're like guards coming out and shooting at you and stuff. And I'm like, they definitely were not there like ten seconds mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we get into the Delamain thing and look, Adam Smasher shows up and we get to use the Excelsior combat package and. Really, that just means that the Delamain car is like more armored and stuff, and 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 takes hits better, and also like hits Adam Smasher, which is fun. And then we do the flee on, you know, we're shooting drones out of the sky as we're hanging out of this car window, which is all kinds of fun. Yeah. And I'm glad that playing this now with the next gen patch and the changes that they've made. Uh, I no longer get a call from a local fixer as we're driving through. This, like, <laughs> no shit. Hey, hey, V, I'm glad you're, I see you're in town. This is my part of the woods. You know, we got a lot of jobs here for somebody like you. So if you want to come down to my place, we could talk about getting you hooked up with the primo. Little busy gates. right now. 
Yeah, and V's just like <laughs> hanging out the window, like shooting, but then V responds vocally. He's like, Yeah, sure, that'd be great. I'd love to come check that out. <laughs> oh, I. Mm. The phone is one of the worst parts of Cyberpunk for me. Uh-huh. Right right there with Deli oh. Main. <laughs> I, the first time I played this game, like the car spam on the phone oh, was just out God. of control, yeah. man. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like, AV, interested in these wheels? Every, you know, <laughs> every single time you just enter a new zip code, you just get yeah. your phone blown up. And I'm like, it's, no one no. has invented Craigslist in the future. You yeah. need to see it because <laughs> you basically get like a Twitter feed of Craigslist in your text messages. <laughs> um, anyways, once we have finally taken out the drones and are on our way out, uh, Jackie is trying to hold on, but not holding on very well. We can try to cheer him up or we can try to get mad at him, which is a weird thing. I don't think you should do that. That seems wrong. I mean, you were mean to the receptionist, so I would not expect. Yeah, but I don't you. know the receptionist. The receptionist isn't bleeding out in a car next to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I do have some decorum, Kenneth. <laughs> um, some being the key word there. Uh, and, and finally, Jackie... As, as he's kind of bleeding out, pulls the data shard out and hands it to us. You know, make sure that we get this job done, uh, get it all taken care of. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I told him he's going to see Misty. Like, you're going to mm-hmm. you're going to be good. Um, and he's obviously like, I know I'm not and all that. And then we Jackie dies. And I will say it is plate like like in the moment it is an emotional scene yeah like it's, I got it's played absolutely. up well yeah absolutely absolutely um i do still feel the way i feel that a lot of his introduction and the aspects of his character are just introduced to hurriedly really like that is the thing is i like jackie so much in this moment that i'm just going like i wanted more time with him mm. i wanted more jackie moments because not only would that make this hit harder yeah yeah like it would it would make this hit harder, but also like I don't know he's just a good character to be around. So I guess that is mm. compelling storytelling in that moment is that they have made this character death impactful in that way. Um, but we ride into the Notel Motel. We have a decision to make about where we send Jackie's body. Um, you sent him to Vix. Why would I send it to his mother to like just open up and say, here's your dead son? So she can lay well, him to rest. Yeah, like my, I mean, my, my feeling was I would want somebody to be able to break the news to my mother instead of her finding me in that state. Yeah, With a fucking but obnoxious I, was... uh, AI cab, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> being like, not show, you know. Try Imagine uh, Delamain trying to show the proper emotion in right. that situation. We, yeah. we would like to inform you, your son is your dead. Son is dead. <laughs> 18% uh, is the preferred tip. <laughs> I mean, for, for me, it was very cultural. Like, I know how close that family was. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, they, yeah, need, yeah. they need his body. Like, they, mm-hmm. they need his body. They care about that. And so, yeah, I, I, sent, him, I sent him to his mom. I mean, that's tough. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, I don't know. I also, like, I, Vic knows, but but, like, you know, yeah, Vic is like not works with Mist- Misty, right? I mean, are they yeah. working? Yeah. So I figured, I figured Vic would I do think the right I, thing. I figured right. Vic would like be the human person who would then, yeah, like inform people. I think is what is how I 
right. interpreted that moment. I um, like Vic. You know, but Vic's not going to like chop up Jackie's body and you know use it <laughs> yeah. for like uh, repurposing as part of his Ripper Doc. Uh, yeah. Uh, gig. That's true. Yeah. But you send it somewhere because yeah. that's that's the important part. Yeah. Um, and we get out one last little moment. We'll tap on tap on the shoulder. See in the major leagues. Oh, man. That does that does hit. That does it's, hit. It's it's rough, man. I mean, it's like like so much happens in such such a short span of time. I mean, it's like ah, mm-hmm. oh, just a few hours ago we were having drinks at the afterlife and like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. talking about our futures and hitting the big time. I mean, it's it's all vi- it's very like formulaic. I mean, anyone with any sense of how these kinds of narratives put together knows that when Jackie mm-hmm. is is ha- having that drink and at the afterlife, you know mm-hmm. what his fate is. But it it works. I mean, it it definitely it works as a as a yeah just a um, something that to, uh, a human moment of connection that it's very poignant it's very poignant i think in the context of what what mm-hmm. happens I th- i'd say it's even important that you have that feeling of dread because then you kind of have this you're contrasted by jackie's optimism that like maybe our maybe we're going to be different maybe it's not going to go bad for us. Like it goes bad for everybody else. That's kind of Jackie's character, right? Is that relentless optimism. And so having that sense of dread conflicting with that feeling of like, maybe if I play this mission, right, maybe if I do things right, I'm going to get Jackie out of here alive. That can have like an in the moment, good feeling of, of friction. (laughs) Like we were talking about earlier, like a good feeling of, uh, you have some you have some skin in the game you have some emotional stakes that you really care about yeah um Mm -hmm. and we go and we go into the motel room dex is pissed off of course he's ranting and raving and uh you know the whole whole job's blown how and this is one i hate it when any piece of fiction does this uh where a character like keeps making an assumption at that another character could easily refute but just does not right and it happens a few times where uh people are like oh you killed saboru you killed saboru and then finally v's like i didn't do that that wasn't me yeah. and i'm like finally <laughs> very <laughs> clearly that wasn't me thank you yeah. like yeah. lead with that v say right, first right, up right. <laughs> i did not kill saboru arasaka <laughs> like, <laughs> My my I didn't kill Saboru Arasaka t-shirt is bringing up a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. Um not to use memes, but <laughs> um I I do like the moment where you head in. Again, this is how that well one of the endings of the trailer of that cinematic uh trailer Forever Go uh where V goes into the bathroom and you can wash your face and get the blood off your hands. And then you have the option of looking at the mirror and and punching it if you want to. And it feels like such a small thing, you know, it's mm. not like a so-and-so will remember this later right. or whatever, but it's, yeah, I do pers- think cyberpunk yeah. excels. Yeah. It, cyberpunk excels. I think and it has right? that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a moment for the player and nobody right. else. Mm-hmm. And I like that a lot. I like, I, yeah. I, I like these moments where it's not, you know, a huge decision, but you are establishing who V is, what, what they yeah. feel about things. And, you know, and that, that scene has no dialogue. So like, you can project whatever you want onto your character. So, like, why, mm-hmm. like, what exactly they're feeling in that moment? Yeah. Because, like, my, my feeling is, like, I couldn't even look myself in the mirror. I was, like, so mad at myself for mm-hmm. having this go wrong. Like, you know, there was some, like, Jackie was incredibly naive, but like, I think I had, there was some na- naivete on my part as well that, like, you, like, like we were saying, like, maybe it'll, it'll work for us. And then just, like, having to look at myself in the mirror with Jackie's blood on my face, just, like, no, 
how to do it. We're gonna we'll move a little quickly here because we we have already talked a significant amount about this. Like question. I should have known yeah. that we would go over. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a it's a beefy it's, it's a, a beefy part of the yeah, game. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyways, we walk out of the bathroom and get shot in the head and get a title card. So clearly someone at CD Projekt Red <laughs> has played Fallout New Vegas. And I see you and I tip my hat to you. <laughs> Good job. Um, but after we get our Fallout New Vegas title card, uh, we 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 kind of come to in a strange place. We're in like a backstage area and our hands look kind of funny. One of them is mechanical and we got a gun. The UI is different. I'm and sorry. I'm sorry, Eric. I have to stop you for a second. Now I'm just imagining Johnny Silverhand being played by Matthew Perry, and I can't get that idea. <laughs> Matthew Perry with the the same uh, voice that he does for his character in Fallout New Vegas, like yeah. that that old uh, crooner. I'm not the line he says at the beginning. That's like I'm not a fink you dig. Like he's uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so. Could- could oh. I could I be any more cyberpunk? All right, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, no. Oh Ken, I'm gonna make you play Fallout New Vegas one day. God, I'm going so to, good. I'm going to make that happen. Um, on on our way in, uh, we 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 punch a dude up against the mirror and get a good look at ourselves as we are Keanu Reeves. Yep. Who is also Johnny Silverhand, but. Yeah. Let's just be honest. We're Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, a thing that I'm going to have to struggle with for the rest of this game is remembering that it's Johnny Silverhand and not just Keanu Reeves uh, mm-hmm. over and over again. Um, but a groupie is telling us we're not looking good. You know, we're kind of out of it a little bit. And then we get up on stage and the band's up there playing chipping in and we join in and we start oh, playing. Oh, it's like that Did joke you? that Whoa. Jackie told Hold earlier. On. I, thought, well, so, no, I, I thought you wanted. I thought you wanted to jump in, Ken. Once we actually talk to Carrie afterwards, but you well, want to talk about sure, Carrie now? Well, okay. I have two things to jump in here. The one, the first thing is they're singing "Chipping In," but it doesn't make any actual sense in the way that this song apparently like has this place in cyberpunk lore, because the version that Carrie's singing it was a cover that he's supposed to have released like twenty years after the fact. Um. Like, after Johnny was dead, and hmm. yet he's singing it here. And that's, like, that's just, like, a weird thing to me where it's, like, it feels like they just kind of, like, put that in there because that is a song that is on Spotify and is on, you know, ver- various other platforms that you can buy it on instead of, like, actually caring about like, what the connotation of that song is. and well, I, I, mm. I don't know. I mean, it's just because there's, like, he... Just because the recorded version they have is the chipping in doesn't mean that like at the time Carrie well, might well, not have been performing chipping. Well, in. that's so. that's the thing is like in in cyberpunk lore, his version like it you know it was released twenty years later, but like it's also like a fundamentally different song. So like that's another weird thing about the thing that like CD Projekt Red orchestrated to be performed by Refused. I think oh. he plays all the songs that are uh, by Johnny Silverhand. Um, like. Those songs are just like completely different. Don't even have the same lyrics. Nothing. It's very weird. And so in that way, like it was just like, why is he performing that song here? Like there's there's gonna be there's a point much later in this game, where Harry Uridine is on stage performing, and could have been singing this song, and it would have made it would just kind of like fixed the entire problem. And then <laughs> they they just put it here for some reason. 
after we plugged the song that we actually should have probably plugged earlier if we're thinking about that too if you wanted to make that chipping in joke when you wanted to <laughs> probably should have had the song playing earlier mm-hmm. um we you know there's there's characters that are like oh johnny you're high and stuff like that you can like uh get really aggressive with some like groupies being like you're wasting your life i love keanu reeves being like you're wasting your life out here like (laughs) uh just getting like mad at everybody you know johnny's having a bad night um and uh we we finally have carrie run up to us and stop us and carrie's like hey like you you can change your mind you don't have to go and clearly johnny is on to something he's gonna go do something and and johnny's like no no i gotta do this uh and you have you have some options here but you can tell him like you got to do your own thing you got to find your own sound uh which is a very rocker like wis- rocker wisdom from <laughs> johnny silverhand yeah it reminded me of that mark Wahlberg movie rock star for some reason which i haven't thought about in a long time and i'm now thinking oh about again God. But yeah. yeah remember that movie where mark Wahlberg was a rocker yeah i remember how uh stephen jenkins lead singer of third eye blind plays a fairly large role in that movie because i mm. do mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. that's yeah. a bad movie oh but it's so it's so bad it's yeah. fascinatingly bad yeah. <laughs> much like cyberpunk 2016 right <laughs> um but uh you know carrie's like i'm gonna miss you something awful like and a we... sad puppy dog mm-hmm. yeah carrie carrie really gives off sad puppy dog vibes in this flashback which is this whole flashback is so cheesy that i almost like the idea that this is how johnny perceives the world around him because it's so dramatic and everything's so amped up and i almost like the idea that this is how johnny sees the world he's got main character syndrome you know he's like Mm -hmm. everything's about johnny silverhand you know (laughs) thank you for adding this like new wrinkle to the story because it's it really like is solidifying a lot of the stuff I was talking about earlier. It's like, by the time this is over, like, between my character's relationship with Johnny Silverhand and everyone around him, actually good. Maybe Cyberpunk mm. 2077 is good. Maybe. <laughs> we will have to finish the podcast before we decide that. <laughs> but, um, we then get onto a landing pad where Rogue's got a helicopter waiting, and we just go flying up into the air and up towards Arasaka Tower. Uh, where we just start assaulting Arasaka Tower <laughs> in in what is a very strange transition. And yes, Ken, we are uh, getting told that it is 2023, so uh, a fair bit before our, our thing. If it was not clear, this is a flashback. I was trying to build up to the flashback You part skipped 10. it. I was trying to build you up to it. You skipped the reveal. I was trying to build up to it. By skipping it. <laughs> It's 2023. Also, by I feel like them saying that is kind of cheesy because by using basic context clues of what we've been told about what Johnny Silverhand does, an attentive reader would have realized by this point that we are playing a flashback because we know that Johnny Silverhand is dead and we've been told about his attack on Arasaka Tower. So the attentive reader knows this is a flashback. (laughs) Um, we, We are not catering here ken we we you know our, our listeners want the attuned discussion mm-hmm. all right <laughs> um so yeah we just we do a turret section because somebody at cd project red was like you know what video games haven't done in a long time turret sections let's get that in here too uh and it's not a very 
fun or interesting turret section because I really genuinely felt like every one of those enemies just stood still as I shot at them. Mm-hmm. Like I did not yep. see any of them even attempt yeah. to shoot back at me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's clearly it's going for like large scale spectacle. Right. Mm-hmm. I think. And, uh, and again, like I did feel to, to, to go from uh, such a monumental moment in the history of 2077 mm-hmm. night city to such a monumental moment in the history of like 2023 Night City. I mean, the, it, it, for this period, still for me, the game is maintaining this feeling of like uh, a fast, like oh, like a real connection between the past and the present, and you know, upheaval and change and and just uh, unpredictability. And yeah, like uh, contingency, I guess, and just like wild shit happening. And, and where does that, like the mm-hmm. opportunity for a transformative mm-hmm. change come out of that? So again, like, yeah, I, I, was, I was really all in at, at this point um, with just how high stakes uh, everything was and, 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 and how vast it all seemed again. And it's like in its implications of, uh, of Night City history. You were chipped in, is what you would say. You were yeah. I was, I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> they got, they uh, got you. Yeah. We, we then hop off the helicopter, and let me tell you, Johnny Silverhand, notorious Merc, yes, rocker boy, but also has the sickest pistol in Night mm-hmm. City, because not only is it... the best gun in the game. Yeah, not only is it, like, this basically single-shot blaster that just, like, annihilates dudes as they're running in, and the game is like, no, you're not stealthing this. You are just going to have fun in this section. Yeah, we we gave you a Desert Eagle. Have fun. (laughs) Yes. A Desert Eagle that my favorite part is that it has this thing that when you do this sick, like, cross-hand slap on it, it shoots out fire in front of you, (laughs) and it's just... I, I want to thank whoever at CD Projekt Red came up with that idea. It's sick. It looks so cool. I, it, It's so good because then it also teases the idea that, oh, hey, I could get a gun like this at some point in the future. Maybe guns like this, when you get to legend status, are that sick. Put a pin in that. <laughs> but um, we, we finally reach our goal. By the way, there's also... So Rogue is on our team. Johnny, obviously, we're playing Johnny. And then there's a third character... Um, I don't remember her name, but she is like the T-Bug equivalent. She is the night runner. Uh, and she's doing all these like weird rhymes and stuff as she's hacking doors. That was fun. I like that character a lot. Just a fun little character off on the side. Um, we reach the elevator, arm, arm this bomb and shoot the cable and rogues like, cool, let's get out. And then Johnny's like, no, no, I got to I got to put a message in the subnet <laughs> and rogue rogue gets pissed. Rogue's like, Oh, this was never about, uh, Arasaka's as, as Ken has written here, corporate colonialism, which at this point we have no context for, <laughs> um, but it's about your groupie output. Uh, and we have four minutes to go do what we got to do. Um, so we fight through the lobby, find an access point, start an upload and watch TV while we do it because they did decide to just have you like wait for an upload. And that's, I actually like that a lot. (laughs) I think it's fun when you have to wait for an upload in a video game. Uh, we head back up and as we're getting up there, Adam Smasher shows Dude, up. Dude, this guy is everywhere. Adam <laughs> Smasher can follow you through the timeline. Uh, 
no, Adam just shows up to uh, grab Johnny and, and pull him back down from the helicopter. Uh, and, and we get to watch a cutscene happen here as, as we just kind of watch all this stuff happen. Johnny gets beat up. Rogue tries to get us, but the helicopter like gets kind of hit and starts spinning out and goes off into the distance. Uh, and then we come to in an Arasaka interrogation chamber where Saboro Arasaka is looking a little bit younger not a lot but a little bit younger <laughs> um and and uh we he kind of talks to us about all this stuff that's happening this technician lackey working with him is like oh my husband died in that tower that you just blew up but there are fates worse than death and you know johnny can try to play it cool and be like you don't scare me <laughs> and um I love Savoro's line. That's like, it is humbling to hear the dead speak. Uh, yeah, I did like that one part. I was like, that's, that's a good, like, evil corpo thing to say. Yeah. Like, I love hearing dead men talk or whatever. It's just very fun. Um, and then we get hit by the soul killer. Whatever that may be. Put a pin in that. <laughs> we go through this whole digitization, enter the matrix process, and... Finally, as we're moving through this digitized landscape, we find Johnny. And Johnny turns towards us as we approach the stranger. We come to, and we're in, like, this landfill. Just bad. Our body's clearly been tossed out. Uh, everything's broken. And you do the Call of Duty crawl forward, trying to get out of the trash heap. And we see Dex around the corner, followed by Goro from earlier. And Dex and Goro are clearly having a disagreement. Um, <laughs> our vision kind of dips in and out a few times as Dex is dragging us around. And Dex is like, okay, I did what you wanted me to do. Like, are we all good? And Goro's like, yeah, and shoots him. <laughs> so that's Dex taken care of right then and there. Uh, and then Goro radios Yorinobu and says, hey, I found your father's killer. We, you know, we, we've got this. And you can try to, you can try to talk to Goro, but he just backhands you because that's Goro. And we start taking off and, and seems like it's going bad until then we find ourselves in another car chase where now super killer, hunter killer robots are chasing us. And this is actually a point where my game crashed when I first played this game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> crashed right in the middle of this cutscene. <laughs> or whatever you want, on rails experience. Where we are just kind of shooting. But also, it doesn't seem like you need to shoot. to like you need. I don't feel like you needed to actually hit anything for that. Because I was not hitting shit I in felt like I felt like you could have put the controller down. I'm not sure yeah. if that's true, but it felt like you could have, yeah. I point that out because they give you a gun to shoot with in this section. And normally in, in, in any normal video game, they would have given you the guns like, like gun that you have been using in the game up to this point, because they want you to focus on how sick this car chase is and you're shooting bullets and stuff. And instead they're like, here's a charge gun. Here's a tutorial window on how to use a charge gun. And I'm like, wait, what, what are, what are you talking about? It's like, have fun trying to shoot. <laughs> a moving target from a moving vehicle with this gun you've never used that has a time delay trigger. And I was like, Oh, Oh no. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't hit shit in this part. <laughs> um, but the chase eventually ends. 
we we crash into a billboard essentially pinning one of the assassins and uh we can get an interrupt to kill the assassin which i did my corpo v absolutely just killed that assassin <laughs> was not having it it's a bad day enough already uh and goro clearly now knows that your nobu's working against him not having it so he's like we gotta find a ripper doc we gotta get fixed up we gotta find out what's going on who do you know and so we called delamain to take us to vix and I know I'm speeding through this, but I wanted to get us specifically to the conversation in Vix. So let's talk about it. We we go in and out. People are coming and going. Goro is talking with Vic. Vic is calling for Misty. There's procedures going on. Delamain's helping out. I like that Delamain's in the bag just like, hey, make sure you don't hit that artery. Man, <laughs> like, y'all were talking so much shit about him earlier. Now he's trying to save your life. Yeah, he keeps talking while someone's trying to save your life. It's it's very annoying. Beautiful it's very information. <laughs> uh, and then after a while, we eventually, uh, after all these scenes of people coming and going and stuff, uh, we come to and Vic is there and we're like, what's going on? What happened? What, what happened? So we fill him in on the Arasaka Tower. We fill him on everything that happened and uh tell him about the vision that we had and then vic tells us hey that wasn't like a vision that was a memory and it was from 50 years ago from a terrorist let me specifically point that out a terrorist named johnny silverhand uh as far as the public know he's buried but you know he's, his, his body disappeared but you need to know it was a memory and that's interesting we followed that up and he's like look that biochip in your neck is basically this savior soul type thing that we've been hearing advertisements for and stuff up to this point. But it's a more advanced version that seems to have Johnny Silverhand in it. We have plugged in a thumb drive that has johnnysilverhand.exe into <laughs> our brain. And now the two consciousnesses are fighting and they're duking it out. And one of us in the long term, mo- jo- jo- Johnny's going to win. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. That's yes. Th- yeah. Um, he, he compares it to like a bomb with a fuse lit and we have yeah. a few weeks tops. Like basically at some point we are going to get overwritten. And also we can't like take it out because somehow it is what is keeping V alive at this point. Like the thing that is keeping V alive is also right. killing V. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Vic- Vic to me is is another one of those few like bastions of actual like humanity in mm-hmm. this game and in Night City like he he you know he doesn't get a lot of like overt character development but you can have these little conversations with him that give you a sense of who he is like when he's mm-hmm. watching mm-hmm. a boxing match in his oh uh, I love that place yeah. and he kind of you know you just fill in the details that he used to be mm-hmm. a, a fighter i think or that i don't know he used to he used to have like a dangerous lifestyle himself and mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. um and so y- it's really important for me that vic as a character work because this is where the game like lays out for you basically what the fundamental conflict and threat mm-hmm. and situation that you're going to be dealing with for the whole remaining you know 30 plus hours is and so the fact that vic is able to communicate it to you in such a way where he seems like genuinely concerned about V's like well being or like genuinely like 
sad to be a, a sort of a bearer of terrible news and to be powerless to do anything about it. Um, uh, to me, that's crucial to, to really making this whole scene work and right. really conveying like the circumstance that, that as V you are now in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. you're basically in the state where now your your brain is being seen as a hard drive that needs to be overwritten yeah. in some way, right? And you know, two souls are cannot exist in one body, and potentially gets into some really interesting stuff that I think the game then like. Yeah, as we will discuss over the entire coming season grapples with in various different ways but um this is now like the core con conflict of of what cyberpunk is is like you are now on borrowed time you're on limited time and what and are you you've going got to do a, with it? a ghost like riding shotgun mm-hmm. in your uh-huh. brain and uh yeah it's a lot it's a lot for a person to take in yeah yeah and it, it's followed up with this scene that I think really hit me this time around because I just don't think I really like paid att- attention to it much when I first played this game, where Misty brings you back to your apartment, and Misty, who has just lost you know someone very significant to her, is now like caring for you, and gives you these things like a uh, a a medallion, a pendant that's kind of made out of the bullet that was pulled from your head, um, which I liked. That was like a very Misty thing to do. Yeah. Um, but also brought some meds for us. And one is the blockers that Vic has prescribed for us. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll help you like hold it off and keep it at bay and prevent some of the bad symptoms from happening. And then some like other stuff that will basically speed the process up. And you can kind of be like, why are you giving me these options? And Misty's kind of like, well, you like, you want to have the option you don't know what you're going to be like in a while and I'm just giving you choices. It's up to you what you want to do with them. I think you had a different dialogue here, Ken, because I specifically was like, are you trying to like get me to, to off myself? And she's like, no, I'm just giving you options, but you had something a little bit different. Like, I think I, I asked like, wouldn't it just be easier for me to take the easy way out. And then at that point, Misty in a very Misty way was like, well, then you'd be t- killing two people in that scenario. Is that what you want? And the game doesn't linger on the question here, but it's one that like, we'll talk about way down the line. But um, that was just, like, an interesting moment. Like, that was more of an expression of Misty than anything else at that point. Because, like, yeah, again, like, yeah. the game asks you that question but doesn't let you answer because it's not, it's not really concerned with your answer right now. But that was at least her in the midst of everything else that she's already gone through, caring about somebody that, like, is ostensibly killing her friend, not intentionally, per se, but mm-hmm. is, like, you know, this problem that V is going to have to deal with and so I like that moment for her at least mm-hmm. yeah I almost wish we were ending the episode on specifically this moment with Misty because I feel like it best this along with the bar scene with Jackie earlier like best shows how when cyberpunk just narrows completely in and focuses mm-hmm. on these like small interactions between people it's got some stuff going on Absolutely. it's got yeah some moments happening here yep. but it's also in the broader context of like okay, we have this great moment with Misty where it's all great. And then we have, we wake up and we have this really long protracted scene where we're fighting with the vision of Johnny. And I know this is like them introducing us to the idea that Johnny is going to be in our head and be like, if you've played Arkham, 
was it Arkham Knight where the Joker just follows you around everywhere? Like Johnny's going to be that to you, right? Uh, where where he's just constantly popping up and he's like, "I want a smoke, give me a smoke, I need a smoke." <laughs> um, this this like practically brawl you have until you realize that like, oh, our movements are like mirrored and stuff, and and it's that realization of oh yeah, we're starting to like overlap and we're starting to like deal with it and, and we're fighting each other initially. And you take the pills that the blockers and wake up in the shower and, um, and, and come to and just kind of try to gather yourself. And that's how the game like kicks off act two essentially. And it is content wise where we are cutting off, but well, uh, well, you wanted to add uh, something? Saying, we skipped through a lot of stuff that I didn't want to touch on. Well, you in terms touch of, like, on it. Go, go for it now. Um, well, so the interesting thing with the Johnny stuff is, and it's something that the game kind of like glosses over and doesn't really sit with, is like there's a dialogue where Johnny has where he says, says something like, oh, I'm just like an engram, the real me must be out there somewhere. And it's not something that like the game or even a lot of sci-fi that deals with like the idea of like a digitized consciousness of like that is a separate, actually a separate entity from the thing that created it. And that's just not something that the game really ever talks about again. And it, like, kind of reckoning with, like, this is not actually Johnny Silverhand and that Johnny Silverhand is dead. Um, mm. And, you know, like, I think that yeah. comes down to a lot of, you know, the ways that... I, I guess the universe broadly, like, frames the Securus whole idea is that, like, that is you living on in some way. When it... I mean, in a symbolic sense, maybe, but not in necessarily a literal sense. There's the... It reminds me a bit of the... Uh, what is that film? The Prestige. Um, the, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Every time someone says it, I hear uh, what's his name, Michael Caine, saying the Prestige. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, spoilers, like in that movie, uh, the like the big magic trick of the movie is basically this magician like killing himself. It's been years since I've seen it, but killing himself and kind of cloning himself every night. I think as this thing that he's doing for reasons for plot reasons and mm-hmm. uh, watching that i was like yeah but so but his consciousness isn't actually leaping from one body to the next like he's actually dying every time he does this like that him is dying and it's it's like that it, like this makes me think of that like the, the the johnny silverhand who who actually lived and did the say that the the 2023 raid on arasaka like is not, you know, the copy of him that's now engaging with us it, is not the actual same entity, right? It's right. like a copy of that entity. So it's right. interesting to think about that, it's, right? Like, like even if, like, if I transfer my consciousness into some San Junipero type thing mm-hmm. and I, di- I die, there may be a, a copy of me that's there frolicking around happily forever, but... I it won't really be me there just because right. it you know so yeah yeah it's it's you know that's that's the that's some of the fun like just um stuff that uh, cyberpunk I think as a genre is so good at raising those kinds of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. issues right. of consciousness and identity that just can get your head spinning if you if you think about them much which you know you should because it's kind of fun to do that right if you want like a video game version that does this, by the way, you should mm. check out uh, an excellent horror game called Soba uh, from sure. uh, Frictional. That is yep. absolutely fantastic. I, I think about Soma probably at least once a month. That game is absolutely fantastic. Right. 
but it, like it, the broader implication is like it's it's ironic because like that's you know these people that are aspiring to continue and to persist in some way aren't actually doing it and it's more like just there's almost like an ego to it like it's i want to persist in a way that is something that people perceive me as persisting mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. so than i am actually living on and that is interesting in and of itself just like that's the ideas and the conception of like secures your soul is something that the game was gonna deal with in more concrete ways you know very mm-hmm. late stage of the game but that is just something that kind of like it, it gives me like that that idea of like me persisting in some way that is not actually me persisting that is like there's just this copy of me that exists that's, that thinks it's me and feels all my emotions and has all my memories almost like it's almost like a you know a program like wearing my face and that's not something that i don't think that cyberpunk 2077 actually reckons with but it's just something they gloss over here which was interesting to me um mm-hmm. the other note that i wanted to leave this scene on was like it's not really because we talk a lot about like v is the protagonist of cyberpunk 2077 but i think broadly both in the times that you're gonna have to like switch over you know control to one character or the other because of things that happen you are in more ways than most RPGs do, like writing the story of two characters in this. Like you, you have two protagonists that you are actively making decisions about their relationship and how much they do or don't like each other. And that you know culminates in different endings depending on the decisions that you made and the quests that you've done. And so that's just like an interesting frame for me here. Is that like, you know, it's, and we're gonna get to the other stuff later, is like these two fucking hate each other right now, <laughs> but they are going to at some point have to grapple with they're both here they mm. might as well cooperate if that is a decision that you make because you can just choose to completely want nothing to do with Keanu Reeves and yeah. that I think, think still works within you know the story that they've written so far yeah there's there's one additional part that I'll just tack on for content reasons I don't think it's worth terribly worth exploring at this point because we'll go into depth about all of these plot threads in later episodes but the the framing device that CD Projekt Red uses at this point is that you wake up in, in the shower and you go out and, and you get called up from uh, from Goro as basically like, hey, come meet me at the diner. And you go to the diner and you talk with Goro and he kind of gives you the whole like, I am working to try and figure out what really happened with Yorinobu. I've been trying to track this stuff down. If you work with me, I can help you. We might be able to take care of that relic that's in your... Um, that's in your neck. Uh, and after you have a whole conversation with Goro, and we'll, we'll talk a lot about Goro in a later episode. We we're, we'll be bringing on a guest, and everything to talk about him specifically in his plot line. We also get to talk to Johnny and you get this whole thing where it kind of lays out the branching paths we can now take to push the story forward because it basically branches out like a grand theft auto would or something like that, or like a fallout would where you have kind of different, leads that you can chase towards getting to the next major plot beat uh and they're all kind of different but it does also establish johnny because at this point johnny reappears and is like oh you know maybe we can work together and you can tell that he's clearly figured out that he's not like it's not beneficial to him to just fight you all the time and he's definitely playing his own interests to some level but you two have to kind of find this weird begrudging like oh we have to exist together and that's the note that it leaves off on here as we head into the branch is like okay we are now trying to get this thing out of our head and also figure out what's going on with it and what the deal with it is 
And this game is going to become the Keanu Reeves show <laughs> as he now begins to appear everywhere we go and do things everywhere we, we do stuff. But um, it was a big episode for Normandy FM. The, the heist. We, <laughs> we undertook the heist. Uh, before we wrap things up, Carolyn, any kind of last thoughts about this section of the game and what it kind of represents for Cyberpunk? Uh, wow. Um you know, again, just like it's for me, it's by far it's the most memorable section mm-hmm. of the game. It's uh, it's uh, I really admire the the um, the technique I think with which the game builds up to and then executes the heist itself um, narratively. You know, as as again that the the just the excitement of all these like moving pieces and things set in motion kind of coming together and and uh, things going wrong. Um, and yeah, uh, I, it's, it's just, it's fascinating to me to reflect on this game uh, from, you know, focusing on, on this section because I really do see so much potential in everything that happens here mm-hmm. in, the, in how you come away with a, a, another consciousness well, a con- not just any consciousness, but a consciousness that I- that is itself so deeply connected to the history of Night City. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. now like riding shotgun with you. Um, so for me, you know, again, the the missteps of the game are are largely ones not of not of like plot necessarily, but of just lacking the the humanity and the character that they would have needed to really elevate them into something that resonated uh, a little more or that felt like I was finding little shards of meaning in the Mm. oppressive capitalist hellscape of Night City uh, Mm. rather than Mm -hmm. just like being uh, rather than just kind of drowning in the vast uh, empty you know meaningless capitalist hellscape of Night City Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah um, a fascinating you know again a a fascinating game that doesn't uh, isn't entirely successful in my view, but sure is, uh, sure is interesting to think about and talk about. So thanks again for, you know, giving me the opportunity to talk about it here with you, uh, tonight. Always, always. John, do you have any other thoughts? Do you have any closing takes on this? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, a lot uh, repeating a lot of the same ideas here, but like, this is how you set a table, right? With a narrative mm-hmm. and you, mm-hmm. you establish some, really fascinating themes you know what it what it really means to be human um you you establish a lot about kind of you know struggle and success and um fighting against something that feels way 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 too large to to tackle um and uh yeah ultimately you know they set the table and then um i'd set the table on fire and (laughs) tipped it over and just they, they just decided to Stay fuck the table, and um, and that's a shame because I think this team is better than that. I think they 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 had circumstances that prevented them from really fulfilling the promises of those things. It feels like, um, but uh, yeah, they set the table really interestingly. I think this was a. Uh, I was excited when y'all asked me to be on, and and I picked this to be the segment because. Selfishly, I think it's the best segment of the game. Um, <laughs> and uh, the highs of this are never really 
um, met at any other point. Um, that's not to say that you shouldn't listen to every episode of this podcast. Absolutely. And, and you know, listen uh, intently to other people talking about things that I just didn't happen to like as much. But I think uh, everybody gets different stuff out of, out of this game and other games. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like that's that's kind of how – you know that it let this this game this part left me feeling great and then nothing else really mm-hmm. matched it and and uh yeah that's that's about it yeah. don't fret we're also bringing haters onto the show oh so. it's good i mean like listen i i when we when we reviewed this for a podcast um i think it was like a week and a half after it came out steven strom and nikki grayson and i just said bad things about this game for two mm-hmm. fucking hours so I'm glad I could come and actually talk about how good this section is because <laughs> I didn't want to just shit on this thing the whole time. <laughs> it's nice to find things within the things I don't think are particularly successful and pull out the things that that I think are. So, right. yeah, mm-hmm. I, obviously interested in hearing what the haters have to say, but it, it was nice getting to talk about this, uh, I think, mostly successful section with uh, with all uh-huh. of y'all. Yeah, yeah, definitely a yeah. section that I think uh, universally agreed at, at, at on some level that this is Pretty probably good. some of the best of cyberpunk yeah. altogether. Yeah, and like speaking for myself as a person who I think in the years since has broadly come around on, I would not say most of the game, but at least like enough that I have like a relatively good feeling when I think about it. Um, we are getting to the point where, like I, I said it like it's in the, the first episode, I feel like the bookends of this game really work for me it's everything mm. in the middle that's just it's, it's just not good except for judy and carrie just them mm. Mm. and the sinner man side quest specifically we mm. might as well just do a whole episode about sinner man and this, we might actually end up doing that <laughs> looking at our schedule but um yeah yeah we'll get there but as always we are normandy fm a retrospective podcast we started out covering mass effect and went on to do dragon age jade empire uh the last of us final fantasy 10 and now we're doing cyberpunk 2077 so if you like any of those games be sure to go back and listen to our back catalog if you like what we do give us a share a shout on social media move us around a little bit give us a five star rating only five stars on the on the podcatcher your choice any lower and ken will be mad at you ken will will take offense to that uh but it does help us get the word out and if you want to monetarily back us you don't need to do that this is a hobby for ken and i but if you want to chip into the if you want to be chipping no, in <laughs> to the tip jar you can head over to patreon.com slash where you know you can back at any level we'll get you into the backer discord where we hang out share new episode updates and talk about things generally lately bioware updates now you know right now and maybe even you know later on in the year when we eventually get more crumbs from Bioware because they love to give us those crumbs twice a year. <laughs> um, you know, it's a good time to be in the Discord and to be watching the feeds from us. So any amount gets you in. The next highest level gets you these episodes as soon as Ken has done editing them. And right now we are very ahead of schedule. Uh, and at the highest level, you get your name shouted out on every episode. And this episode, that list includes Mercedes Cluis, Meredith, Micah Mante, Shane Erickson, and Darius Pippins. Thank you all so much for chipping in. <laughs> Before we go, Carolyn, where can the folks at home find your work and all the things you do? Go ahead and plug your socials and anything else you want to share out there into the world. Yeah, uh, you probably the best place to keep tabs on me. Uh, I am an incorrigible 
uh, user of the Twitters. Uh, mm. So you can, I, I tweet relentlessly. So you can follow me on Twitter at Carolyn Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. Uh, and yeah, I'm managing editor at Kotaku. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, read Kotaku. Uh, you know, uh, you may like some things we publish. You may really hate some other things we publish. That seems to be the general public reaction or feeling about Kotaku. But, you know, we welcome all uh, good faith readers uh, to our engaged and impassioned uh, dialogue with the, the world of video games. You may agree or you may disagree, but you'll never be bored. And that's the important <laughs> part. <laughs> there you go. Uh, John, how about you? Plug some stuff. Oh, gosh. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Floppy Adult. Uh, I, of course, am uh, a big fan of fanbyte.com, a website you can go to and click around on. We would definitely appreciate that mm. um, right about now. Uh, don't know if you've noticed, but the media landscape pretty bleak it uh, is, sure yeah. is man so, who boy yeah so if you like like really i mean if you if you're sitting there and you're like you know what i really dig those folks at kotaku i really dig those folks at fanbite it genuinely does help us to like share the stuff that you like and tell other people about it and actually just visit the website and do yes. stuff on it um yes, yes. that stuff yes. really helps it really yeah. does um so yeah definitely appreciate everyone's continued support if you liked my contributions at all to this episode of the show i host a show called thanks for the knowledge it's a weekly roundup of news and entertainment headlines we usually have a round table or an interview with someone interesting uh this coming uh well i don't know when this airs when does this air uh, patrons will get it like, like tomorrow. Way, okay, so patrons, Norman DFM patrons, uh, this week we'll be talking to Ken Shepard himself about uh, Overwatch 2. So uh, you can go listen to that uh, this coming weekend. And if you're on the free feed, it's only me on there now. So like, yeah, it's on the yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's way back. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. All of our all of our podcasts can be found over at fanby.com/podcast and yada yada yada. But yeah, thanks. And also click on Destructoid links. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I spent an hour and a half interviewing Sam Barlow about his latest game. And yeah. I, guess I would like you to click the link on that one. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can go back and click that so I can write that. more articles like that. Uh, <laughs> sorry, this is not the game's media depression hour. I mean, this is no it, media. Uh, could, it kind of easily is. slide it into that. It kind yeah. of That's is, for though, the isn't post it? Show the post pod that doesn't get aired <laughs> but until next episode where we will be saving evelyn in the mission's automatic love all the way up to double life we'll see you there but for carolyn for john for ken and myself thank you so much for chipping in and we'll see you next week episode damn it <laughs>